uh, towards David as he comes up, and we'll just pray a blessing on him. Father, we're thankful for the man of God. We pray that your blessing would be upon him as he brings the word today, and give him strength and endurance as they go to Chicago and, and later to, over to Los Angeles. And we just pray for your blessing to go before him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The one thing I learned, I, well, I hope I learned more than one thing, uh, <laughs> leading churches, but one thing I did learn was never interrupt the Holy Spirit. Never interrupt the Holy Spirit. You know, no, nobody, when the Holy Spirit is moving, nobody's sitting there looking at their watch, wondering about when they're going to get home for lunch. Uh, and so... Uh, God is faithful. We had this amazing men's conference. I think it's one of the best we've ever had. There were some of the men there had real, genuine power encounters with the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you're one of those men, then um, share your story with people around you and encourage them. Uh, well, God, is, God is just doing amazing things in these days. He really is, and we are grateful for this family. We feel very much at home. Uh, one of the amazing things in the kingdom of God is that you can go from one place to another, uh, and we're going into two very young urban professional churches in Chicago and Los Angeles that are both planted by young men in their 20s about five years ago. Um, I, I doubt that we'll be the only people over 30. That's a news for some of you that I am over 30. But <laughs> we'll be the only people over 30 probably there. And uh, young urban professionals, all that kind of thing, city environment. Um, but I'm expecting to feel just as much at home as we do here yeah. in sort of rural Michigan. And uh, because it's the kingdom of God, it isn't, it isn't uh, what your educational status is or how rich you are or what job or what is the color of your skin. Those things are all totally irrelevant. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and uh, then we go to, um, also in California, I'm speaking at a leadership conference. And uh, I, I said to Brian, you know, Brian, you know, he's, he's got... It, Brian and Jen Johnson from Bethel Music are the worship leaders in this conference. And I said, Brian, you know, buy your wife a ticket and send her out there. Like, have you listened to me or not? Do we, maybe? Well, I'll take that as a hopeful sign. So God just lands us in all these situations. And, uh, but one thing that I... And, one thing for sure is that there's no such thing as a celebrity in the kingdom of God. There isn't really. Uh, if we ever get to the point where we think we're all that in a bucket of chicken or we're going somewhere, you know, because there's a special speaker or something like that, and that person is special, then we've lost, we've lost it. We really have lost it. We're all on level ground at the cross, so... And I want to encourage you, uh, you know, Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 12 on the body that uh, if the least member 
in, in earthly eyes, if the least significant person in the body, because everybody's equally significant to God, but if in, from an earthly perspective, someone is not significant, if that person is not flourishing, then the entire body is affected. And so we need to learn to serve uh, the, and lift up uh, those who in the world's eyes are nothing, because in the kingdom of God, those who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. And uh, some of the most significant people in God's kingdom throughout history have been people who had absolutely no recognition whatsoever in this life. But when they get into the presence of God, they find out that their life has been very significant indeed because of their service. So all those things I just want to leave with you. So it sounds like I'm giving my farewell speech and I'll never see you again. I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's get out of that mode. Um, our ultimate goal in life is to manifest the glory of God. It's not to become successful, rich, wealthy, or uh, anything else. It's our ultimate goal in life is to manifest the glory of God, to give God glory. That's what we live for, to give God glory. And when you, the closer you get to the giving of glory to God in your life, what happens is the more the glory of God begins to invade your life and surround you. So as you're giving glory to God, you find out the glory of God begins to manifest in you. And that's an amazing thought. Some people, you know, it's all about them. And they don't ever get the point that what we're here to do is to give glory to Him. It's not about us. And if you're in it for yourself, then you won't get much out of it. But if you're in it for God, and that is your goal, and everything you do is to give glory to Him and not seek anything for yourself, then God will come and manifest His glory in you. So I want to talk about the glory of God today. And wherever you are today, wherever I am today, where, where we want to move toward is a greater manifestation of the glory in our lives. But we have to, therefore, begin by answering answering the question, what is the glory of God? How do we encounter it today? What has that got to do with the Holy Spirit? And to do that, we go back to the Old Testament, where the Hebrew word for glory is the word kavod. And the root meaning of that word is a heaviness or a weight. Uh, it came to mean wealth or honor or splendor. And in the Old Testament, the main reference of the word glory is obviously to God, because who has more weight or substance or honor or splendor than God Himself? And so the glory of God, uh, this substance, this honor, this splendor of God is so powerful that it manifests itself physically in the midst of the cloud and fire, which led the people of Israel through the wilderness. And manifested itself on top of Mount Sinai, was accompanied by thunder and lightning and shakings and manifestations. And uh, it manifested itself in the tabernacle. Uh, the glory of God manifested itself in later years to Ezekiel and Isaiah as they had these 
heavenly visitations and they were ushered into the presence of God, the same as the Apostle John was. But the concept of the glory of God is more than just that physical manifestation. It goes into something that is wider and deeper and that has to do with the character of God. So the psalmist cries out, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And also declare his glory among the nations. And Isaiah chapter 60 tells us that a day is coming when the glory of God is going to rise upon the people of God. And he, he says in chapter 40 that that day is going to be marked by a voice crying in the wilderness and the glory of God is going to be revealed. All these things Isaiah is saying 700 years before the coming of Christ. And so all of that quick tour of the Old Testament uh, leads us to the first chapter of John's Gospel, and this scripture will come up by faith on the screen behind me. Except I just... Oh, I can see it in front of me. At the men's conference, some other things came up on the screen when I was preaching. It's a demon, a Stutzman demon, <laughs> which was denied, but... Uh, <clears throat> And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this is John chapter 1. Now, in this verse, John is thinking of Moses' encounter with God on Mount Sinai. Now, why do I say that? It's because John says, I've seen the glory. Now, if you talk to a Jewish person and said, who is it that saw the glory? They would say Moses. Right off, it's Moses on Mount Sinai. It's Moses in the tabernacle. That's the man that saw the glory. And people don't go around seeing the glory. Moses saw the glory. Not much of it's happened since. But John says here, I have seen the glory. And then in the next phrase, he describes Jesus as full of grace and truth. Now, this is really interesting because back in the 34th chapter of Exodus, when Moses is seeing the glory on Mount Sinai, God reveals himself to Moses as the one who abounds in love and faithfulness. Now, if you take the two Hebrew words for love and faithfulness and you translate them into Greek, they come out as grace and truth. So, Moses is on Mount Sinai seeing the manifest glory of God, and God speaks to him out of this fear, fearsome crowd, cloud and the thunder and lightning and earthquakes that are going on, and it says, I am the one abounding in love and faithfulness. And now John says, I also have seen the glory. And he is full of grace and truth. So, uh, this... Uh, unprecedented encounter of Moses with God on Mount Sinai. That was the moment in which the covenant was forged and the people of God were set apart. Somehow, this encounter of Moses with the glory of God is being repeated because John's saying, we've seen the glory. 
What is the glory? The glory, for anyone reading this, it was the kavod. It was the manifest presence of Almighty God. It was that which Moses witnessed on Mount Sinai. It's that which no one can fully see and live. Well, how could John have seen the glory? He, he wasn't on Mount Sinai. He didn't see any cloud. But the answer is clear. It's because he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. He's saying, when you look at Jesus, you might as well be on top of Mount Sinai, manifest, see, witnessing the manifest glory of God. I don't know how anyone in their right mind could argue the Bible does not teach the divinity of Christ. It's right here in this verse. The glory of God, of Yahweh, manifest in this cloud on Mount Sinai, which nobody could approach but Moses on pain of death, has been made flesh. This God, unapproachable on the pain of death, surrounded by this glory cloud, this God turns up on earth, walking the streets of Jerusalem. The Shekinah glory is walking around the streets of Jerusalem. And not only is, is, is he approachable, but he's touching people. He's actually touching the lepers. He's touching and allowing himself to be touched. And instead of the uncleanness of the people touching him, affecting him, infecting him, his cleanness, his healing, and his health is moving out and making clean everybody who reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And that's what Jesus does. You come to him in your uncleanness. You come to him in your sin, in your rebellion, in the failures of your life. And whereas under the old covenant, the people were cowering at the foot of the mountain, they, they don't even come. If you even come near the foot of the mountain, you'll be scorched and done. You'll be toast. You'll be more charbroiled than one of Matt's famous steaks. <laughs> still getting back at him for that thing he put up at the conference anyway. But you see, now, now we can touch the glory. Because of the blood of Christ, we can touch the glory. And when we touch the glory, we enter into his healing. We enter into his wholeness. We enter into who he is. We become partakers of his life. His life invades us. His health invades us. His Spirit fills us. And then John says something else. He says right here, the Word dwelt among us. Now that's, that's a loaded word in uh, Greek or in Hebrew because it specifically refers to the... Uh, dwelling of God in the tabernacle. It's not just a word that you would say, well, I dwell in Centerville or St. Joe County or something like that. This is a word reserved for God's dwelling in the tabernacle. That's the glory cloud present in the tabernacle. And so what John is saying is that Jesus' presence on earth is exactly the same as God dwelling in the tabernacle. And if you turn the Hebrew verb for God's dwelling in the tabernacle into a noun, you get this word Shekinah, which is the cloud of glory. And now this glory cloud, as I said, is walking around the streets of Jerusalem. But here's the strange thing. The religious people are so blind, they can't see it. 
Would you have had any trouble if you were one of the Israelites in Sinai seeing what was happening on the mountain? No. You, 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 it was far more visible than Mount Doom in the Lord of the Rings. You, 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 everybody knew it was there. And yet the religious people, the glory cloud is walking around. They, they can't even see it. But before I go further... Let me sum up what John is saying in this one verse. He says, number one, the God who appeared on Mount Sinai has appeared now in the flesh in the person of Jesus. Number two, the entire character of God as revealed on Mount Sinai, the mercy and faithfulness of God are embodied in the person of Jesus. This is God. And number three, the Shekinah glory of God on Mount Sinai is manifest in the person of Jesus. Those three things are all out of that one verse. Now, why is it that they couldn't see the glory when it was right in front of them? Now, Paul explains that for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And in that chapter, uh, when we come to verses 7 to 11, he uses the word glory a whole lot. I'll just quickly read it just to emphasize how much Paul is focused on this idea of glory. And then I'll draw a point out of it. He says, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters and stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Because of what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? He's got glory. Somebody can say glory. (laughs) He's got glory in his mind. Now, why the Jews couldn't see the glory in front of them is explained starting in verse 16. And he says this, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the problem the Jewish people had was that they could not understand the true meaning of the law. Their hearts and minds were blinded to everything Moses and the prophets had said about Jesus. The reason they couldn't understand is they did not have the Holy Spirit. And now Paul is explaining this. And just like John, in the verse that I had up a minute ago, Paul takes us back to the very same chapter, Exodus chapter 34. And the same theme, which is the manifestation of the glory of God on Mount Sinai. So Exodus 34 says, Whenever Moses went into the presence of the glory, he removed his veil. Then when he came out, he put a veil back on so that no one could see the glory manifest in his face. It was such a, you know, manifestation of the glory of God. If you saw the glory of God, you'd die. So he had to put this veil over his face. And so Paul uses the example of Moses' face shielding people from the glory of God. He uses that as an example to say the Jewish people still don't see the glory. There's a veil between them and the glory. But it's not the glory of Sinai that they don't see. It's the glory of Jesus. But, he says, when at verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, Can you put up verse 17, please? Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there 
is freedom. And so, this is the point where I advertise I've got a book on freedom coming out in two or three weeks. Okay. <laughs> now, next he explains that the God who revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai now manifests himself to believers as the Holy Spirit. Now, the Lord, that's Yahweh, is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of Yahweh is, there is freedom. Now, think about this for just a moment. On Mount Sinai, the glory of God is manifested as the Father, as Yahweh. In the streets of Jerusalem, as I pointed out a moment ago, the glory of God is manifested as the Son. And now, in Christian believers, according to 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, the glory of God is manifested as the Holy Spirit. And don't tell me the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity. And where the glory comes, there comes freedom. That's an amazing word, isn't it? Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the condemnation of the law. Freedom to live life as it's meant to be lived. Freedom to be in fellowship with the living God. The release of the Spirit is the manifestation of the glory in you. Where the glory of God is released in us, the Holy Spirit fills us, empowers us, and He sets us free. You could try all your life to get free of something, but when you have a power encounter with the Holy Spirit, it can happen in an instant. You can be set free from a demonic bondage. You can have a baby grow in the womb. When the Holy Spirit moves, He can do what you could spend a lifetime trying to do and not get done. We have to understand the empowering of the Holy Spirit in a deeper way than we've ever done before. It's not just somebody, you know, getting up on a platform and giving a prophetic word or something like that. that that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but it's far more than that. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings freedom to our life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's not just dancing around at the front. That's great. I'm just about enough strength left in me that I did one or two little jigs at men's conference. I'm not quite out to the younger guys. But even if you can't, you can still dance on the inside. <laughs> you know, the Holy Spirit, and, and it's more than that. The Holy Spirit brings freedom to every part of your life, even the darkest parts. When the glory of God is released in you, the Holy Spirit fills you, empowers you, and sets you free. Now, when the, the purpose of God is more than just prophecies and spiritual gifts, the purpose of God is to recreate us as entirely new people. He just doesn't do a renovation work. He does a work of recreation. If you have a house that's built on the wrong foundations, you can go and dress the house up and renovate and paint the walls and put a new kitchen in, but if the foundations aren't right, then it, you've done no good in the end. But God wants to build you a whole new house from the ground up. And He does it by His Spirit. Is that a process? Yes, it's a process. 
It will never be complete till we see Jesus face to face. We're far, far from perfect and all those things. But how often do we just fail to take a hold of the statement of Scripture that in Christ we're new creation? How, how often do we fail to take a hold of the liberty and the freedom that is ours in the Holy Spirit? I mean, what have you got to lose? Reach out to God for a miracle. Reach out to God for freedom from bondage and sin and darkness in your life. Reach out to God. You've got nothing to lose. Come on now. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And God won't fail you. The old man has died. The new man has come. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Then the next verse, 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Now, and we all with unveiled face. Here's the difference between Moses and Christian believers. Moses went into the presence of the Lord, him only. He took the veil off until he left the tent. Then when he came out, he put it back on again. But now, Scripture tells us, It says, we all, we all, whenever any believer in Jesus Christ encounters the same presence of the Lord, the veil is removed. Under the old covenant, only one man, once a year, ever experienced the glory of God that way. But now, every believer, we all, we all, that includes you, we all, Enter the glory. Nobody's left behind. And we do so with unveiled face. Unveiled in the Greek language. It's what Principal Hartong is probably the only person other than me here who would understand. It's called a perfect participle. And I don't even know if he's an English teacher, so maybe he doesn't get it. And I'm teaching him this morning, too. Now, There's a heavy anointing on this perfect participle, believe it or not, because the meaning is, it's a very specific piece of grammar, and the meaning is the veil has been removed once and for all, and the condition is irreversible. Once you enter the glory, you'll never go back. Once you enter the glory, you'll never go back. If you really come to Jesus Christ and have a saving encounter with him and and meet the power of the Holy Spirit, you won't fall back into the world. Never. You you can come and hang out on the sidelines and uh, raise your hands a little bit and your friend can go forward and get saved and have his life changed and you can dilly-dally around a little bit and, and call yourself a Christian, but... you, have you entered the glory? That's the question. Have you entered the glory? When you enter the glory, you'll never go back. Yeah. You'll never go back. You guys remember when I had the first power encounter of the Holy Spirit I ever had as a young man, and God began to show me things that were, were going to happen, and then they happened. And, f- and something significant happened as a result of that. And four times in two weeks, this took place. And after four times in two weeks, I was like Samuel, you know. Uh, I'd heard the voice of God, didn't know what it was. And finally, the penny dropped, and I realized what was happening to me. And it was like C.S. Lewis, who writes in the, the Narnia stories about going through a wardrobe into a whole new country. It was like I went through a wardrobe into a new country, and I've never come back out again. 
I've got lots of imperfections. My wife will tell you if you ask her, I'm sure she's very gracious to me, but nobody say amen at this point. Uh, But I entered the glory. I entered the glory, and I've never come out. I, I, I don't want to be anywhere where the glory of God is not present. And it says, so it says, unveil. That's done once and for all. You're in. That's why I believe in eternal security. You really know Christ. You'll never fall away. You're in. And number two, it says, you are beholding, or we are beholding the glory of the Lord. Now, this is a present participle. And the significance of that is, it's something that you are doing every day. Will you enter the glory once and for all and never go back, but you behold the glory every day. That's the significance of what he's saying here, this word. Um, It's a continuous activity. Every day is an opportunity to behold Christ. The images of somebody looking at an image in, in a mirror. And the idea is that through you would gain greater clarity, wisdom, understanding, and so on through looking in a mirror. And uh, through beholding Christ every day, that transforms us. It leads us more and more and more into freedom. The more we behold Christ, the more clarity we get about God. The closer we are to God, the more we can exercise our freedom as we think about Christ, as we pray to Christ, as we read about Christ in the Bible. As our lives become more and more focused on Christ, our understanding increases, our knowledge of Him increases, and our experience of the glory of God and of the Holy Spirit goes stronger and stronger and stronger until the day we enter the glory once and for all. And that's a promise for every one of us today. If you're young today, then you have a lifetime of beholding the glory. Come on, you guys. You can behold the glory for decades to come. Imagine what you'll be like in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years. You'll be true saints with halos. (laughs) It's like the experience of Jesus. That's what we want, isn't it? God is not in the business of creating hyper-religious people who improve themselves through better habits. It doesn't work. God is in the business of creating entirely new people who live by grace every day. The gifts of the Spirit are supernatural gift of God. I can't invent a prophecy. Well, I, I could try. I've known a few people. <laughs> anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> you can't invent a gift of the Spirit. But neither can you invent a fruit of the Spirit. As Christians, we, we have this strange idea sometimes that we understand the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural manifestations from God, but the fruit of the Spirit is something we have to work at every day and create. You, you can't do it. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Every day, as you behold the glory, God creates fruit in your life. God changes you. God creates the character of Christ in you. You can't do that. All you can do is make yourself available and say, yes, Lord, I'm here. I want, how many want more of the glory today? 
Jesus, manifest your glory in me. I want people to see Jesus when they look at me. Even though they don't see a perfect manifestation of Jesus, I want them to see Jesus in me. That's the glory of God. Now John says he saw the glory of God in Jesus. But the greatest manifestation of the glory of God in Jesus was when Jesus hung on that cross for our sins. God is looking for the glory of Christ in our inner man and inner woman. The glory is the image of Christ. It's the likeness of Christ. It's when we begin to look like Jesus. And the glory is manifested in us the same way it was in Him when we take up our cross and lay our lives down for those around us when we walk in God's love and give it away. That's when the glory comes. It doesn't come when we prance around on the platform and give a prophecy or something like that. I mean, the glory can come that way, but the real manifestation of the glory is by men and women who walk in the way of the cross and who love their lives not unto death. You know, they are sold out for Christ in the workplace, in this, at school, at college, in your neighborhood, in your family. That's where the glory comes. The glory comes in a husband who confesses he's been dealing with sin over the years and has the guts to stand up on the stage as my brother did this morning, confessing that before hundreds of people. That's the glory of God. That was a manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why? Why? Because it's a man who's willing to abase himself and make him look embarrassed and bad in the eyes of people in order to give glory to God. Now, in truth, we're all in the same boat. It doesn't matter what your sin is this morning. We've all got sin in our lives. The question is, is the glory there? And the glory is there in men and women who say, be merciful to me, God. Be merciful to me, God, a sinner. I'm a sinner. I need your help. I need your grace. I'm willing to open my life to the person beside me and say, I'm nothing without Christ. I need Christ. I want His glory. And that's where the glory comes. It doesn't come in people who have, are frothing at the mouth and give a prophecy a minute. It doesn't come in people who are hyper-religious and claim to be better than the next person. It comes in people that know that they're nothing, who are crying out to God for mercy, and who want the strength to lay their life down for those around them. That's the glory of God. Yeah. Now, every one of you this morning is qualified to enter that glory. It's your choice. The presence of God is no longer restricted to one place where one time a year only one person could experience it. The presence of God is now released in the earth wherever men and women encounter the glory of God in the presence of Christ. Even if you're struggling with a sin issue in your life, and I could give the safest word of knowledge that could ever be given by saying there's someone in this room that has sin in their life. (laughs) 
buckshot word of knowledge. It's bound to hit somebody or everybody in this case. But we are, I said this before, I'll say it again. Whereas the high priest once a year was the only one that could go into the presence of the glory. When the Holy Spirit fell upon the city of Jerusalem and the temple of God in heaven that's pictured in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 and uh, 14 and uh, 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 and in his Isaiah chapter 6 and in the beginning of Ezekiel, the temple of God in heaven, some portion of that fell out on earth onto the city of Jerusalem that day, Pentecost. And it's been here ever since. And the effect of that is that instead of the one man going in once a year and experiencing the glory, now we all, every one of us in Christ, we are one man, one woman, mobile tabernacles of the Holy Ghost. Wherever you go, the Holy Spirit is within you in a glory cloud. It's why we can pray for one another and see miracles happen because the glory's in us. Why we can witness as imperfect people to those around us because the glory's in us. It's why you can submit your finances to God because God's concerned about money and the glory of God is within us to deal with financial issues and advertise the goodness and the provision and the wisdom of God in that realm. God comes into every area. He wants His glory to be manifest in our physical health, in our morality, in our handling of money, in our relationships with one another, in our marriages, our friendships, our churches, everything. He wants His glory to invade us. And God's goal is that as we become on this journey, beholding Christ every day, more and more like Christ, His goal is the glory will increase. And one day it will translate us, Scripture says, in the twinkling of an eye into a glorious resurrection body. Just like that of Jesus. So, my brothers and sisters, until that day comes, behold Him daily. Follow Him daily. Take up your cross daily. Walk in His love by the grace of God and give it away. And know this, if you do, the glory will come. Thank you, Father. Lord, if there's any of us here this morning that feel on the outside looking in, Lord, we break the power of the lie of the enemy. The glory is for you too. The glory is for all of us. Lord, what is this glory? It's the manifestation of the life of Jesus in us. It's even as Jesus walked around the streets of Jerusalem, so people should see us walking around the streets of our community and see the glory of God in us. Lord, how can that be possible? Yet your word so plainly here says it is. It's not only possible, but it's your will. And it's your will not just for some, but for every one of us. So Lord Jesus, take us, take us deeper into the glory. 
Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was one of the greatest preachers alive at his, the time, at, in his day, in his final sickness, as people were gathered around his family praying, he said, stop praying. Don't hold me back from the glory. But Pastor James Hostetler of Goshen, his father told me a story of an old Mennonite lady in hospital in Goshen a few years ago and her family were singing, gathered in the hospital room and she had been in a coma for four days, but all the family gathered and as they were singing praise to God, suddenly this dear saint, she came out of the coma, she raised her hand, looked up at the ceiling and said the gates are open. And in that moment her hand fell back and she entered the fullness of the glory. But you know, you can enter the glory today. I encourage you, don't miss this opportunity. So let's take time. Why don't you stand on your feet? And we just want to, uh, if there's anyone here that would like to respond to that message, we want to open up the altar <clears throat> as we're just playing right now. And if you want to just respond, just come up and uh, we will pray for you. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity that we can come before you right now in response to this word that you've deposited in our brother David. Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, that uh, they want to know you in a deeper way, they want to press in and, and remove the veil so they can come in and, and experience the glory of God in their hearts, we just pray that they would respond right now in Jesus' name. They have the boldness to respond. We want to give opportunity right now. If that's you, just come up and we'll pray for you. We'll give a few minutes. Thank you, Father. We give you glory and we give you praise. Father, we just submit ourselves to your ways and we thank you, Lord, even on the airways. If they're watching live stream, we pray to God that they would reach out. And we just thank you, Father, for the word that's been seed sown today. And we just pray for it lands on fertile soil. And so we just give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Go out there and make a difference. Let your glory shine. Let the glory of God shine. Amen.